Thank you for listening to this message from First Baptist Church of Alamogordo. More information about First Baptist Church can be found at www.fbcalamo.com. All right, well, as you take a seat, grab a Bible, go to Genesis chapter 2. We are uh, in the second, uh, second part of this Genesis series. Uh, now, as I said, we're not going to cover every single chapter, every single verse throughout Genesis. That would take a while. Uh, instead, we're going to focus on some, some major characters, which means for the first three or four weeks, we are going to cover uh, chapters one through four and, and all the verses therein, and then we'll, we'll skip ahead a little bit after that. Um, last week, we looked at uh, primarily the, the character of God and who he is as creator, uh, who he is as sustainer. Uh, what we learn as he, with great care, uh, fashioned creation in, in six days and then rested on the seventh. And we saw that uh, the, that means that for us, um, in, in God's original design of creation, there's rest. Um, we, we saw a little bit about uh, the way that God and, and man interacted at the end of, of chapter 1. And if last week was uh, really like a 30,000-foot view of creation... Uh, this morning, we're going to zero in on the creation of mankind specifically, on the creation of Adam and Eve, and, and what we learn, uh, what we continue to learn about God, what we learn about us. And, and I would say, um, you, you know, I've, I've, I've argued before, you know, for, for everyone who says that, that things in our world right now are never as, uh, or the worst that they've ever been, uh, I would push back on that a little bit and say, I think, I think things have been bad for a long time. Um, we just, we see it a little bit more quickly now um, because whatever, you know, thought pops into our minds, we can uh, jump on social media and immediately post it for all the world to see. Um, whether that's helpful or not, or even well thought out or, or whatever it may be. Um, and yet I would, I would say that I think what we see right now is a great confusion. And, and again, I've not lived for a, a real long time, so I can't say whether we're the most confused we've ever been as, as far as what it means to be people. Um, but it's got to be close right now. There's a lot of confusion in our world about what it, what it means to be uh, a human, what it means to be certainly male and female. And so uh, in, in asking how we're to live and, and navigate in a world that's confused, uh, we, we would say it matters uh, that we go back and look at God's original creation. We look at God's design for, for human life, God's design for marriage, and particularly before the fall happened and, and everything uh, kind of blew up and, and sin entered the world and fractured God's creation. In Genesis 1 and 2, we see something about the way that God designed our world to operate. And so even though we're, we're focusing on Adam and Eve this morning, uh, you'll see each of our points focuses on God as, as the creator, um, because simply put, God as creator uh, gets to uh, set the rules for how we as humans operate. And we'll, we'll take a little bit more look at that here in just a moment. If you have your Bible, uh, open it to Genesis 2. We're going to read verses 4 on down through verse 24, so, so from chapter 4 through the end of the chapter. And let's stand, and we will uh, read the word of the Lord together. 
where the Lord says, These are the records of the heavens and the earth concerning their creation. At the time that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens, no shrub of the field had yet grown on the land, and no plant of the field had yet sprouted, for the Lord God had not made it rain on the land, and there was no man to work the ground. But mist would come up from the earth and water all the ground. Then the Lord God formed the man out of the dust from the ground and breathed the breath of life into his nostrils, and the man became a living being. The Lord God planted a garden in the Eden, in Eden in the east, and there he placed the man he had formed. The Lord God caused to grow out of the ground every tree pleasing in appearance and good for food, including the tree of life in the middle of the garden, as well as the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river went out from Eden to water the garden. From there it divided and became the source of four rivers. The name of the first is Pishon, which flows through the entire land of Havilah, where there is gold. Gold from that land is pure. Bdellium and onyx are also there. The name of the second river is Gihon, which flows through the entire land of Cush. The name of the third river is Tigris, which runs east of Assyria. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. The Lord God took the man and placed him in the Garden of Eden to work it and watch over it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are, to, you are free to eat from any tree of the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for on the day you eat from it, you will certainly die. Then the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper corresponding to him. The Lord God formed out of the ground every wild animal and every bird of the sky and brought each to the man to see what he would call it. Whatever the man called the living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the livestock, to the birds of the sky, and to every wild animal. But for the man, no helper was found corresponding to him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to come over the man, and he slept. God took one of his ribs and closed the, pla- the, closed the flesh at that place. Then the Lord God made the rib he had taken from the woman, from the man into a woman and brought her to the man. And the man said, this one at last is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. This one will be called woman, for she was taken from man. This is why a man leaves his father and mother and bonds with his wife, and they, became, they become one flesh. Both the man and his wife were, were naked, yet felt no shame. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. I pray that you will bless our time together. Will you take these words that you have written and speak to us through them. That that as we look at this account in Genesis 2, we might come to realize your design for us as people, your plans for us as workers, your plans for us as husbands, as wives, as mothers and fathers. And that we might see something in this passage about our relationship with you as you meant for it to be originally. Pray that you will bless our time as we open up your word. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. You can have a seat. Now, we see this interesting because what I see in the beginning of this passage is, is really just a description of, of creation before man. And, and, and even before, although, although God has said that his creation is good, 
And we see that several times throughout Genesis 1, and, and at the end we're told that God looked at everything he made and, and it was good. We see that between verses 4 through 6, there's something missing. We're told that there were no shrubs, no, no plant had sprouted, for the Lord God had not made it to rain on the land, and there was no man to work the ground. And so we, we see that God's creation is good, and yet there's something in God's creation that's, that's missing. Verse 7, we're given really a completion to the creation story. When the Lord God formed the man out of the dust from the ground and breathed the breath of life into his nostrils, and the man became a living being, now, now, quite simply, what we have here, this, this point might blow your mind, I know, but we have that God creates man, okay? We, we looked last week at everything else that, that God created, and, and right at the end of chapter 1, we were, we were introduced to male and female. And yet, here we see something special about the way God created man. See, in Genesis 1, we're told that, that God spoke and things appeared. God spoke and, and water appeared. God, God spoke and dry land appeared. God spoke, we're told, and, and plants grew. And yet here in verse 7, we're told that God formed Adam. And not only that he formed him, but that he breathed the breath of life into his nostrils and the man became a living being. We see that there's something different about the man than from, say, a plant. Now, now later on, we're also told that, that God formed the beasts uh, out of the dust of the ground. But what we're not told is that God breathed into them. And so there would be, we would say, a difference between uh, you and your dog, however much you may love him, Right? That there is a difference in value, there, there's a difference in, um, in, in the, the emphasis that God placed on putting his breath into man that he put in no other living creature. Now, as I said at the beginning, we live in a world that's very confused about uh, what it means to be human. And in fact, you'll, you'll now have even um, extreme environmentalists who've, who would say that they are making a, a commitment to not reproduce so that the earth might go back to its natural form. So that, uh, the, the damage that humans have caused uh, to our earth might stop and, and creation can be restored to its natural order, as they would say. Um, now we'll talk in a minute about what it means for us to, to work the ground, what it means for us to, to steward God's creation. And yet we see here that that God has created us to rule over creation. We see that God has made us as humans the crown jewel of creation. And even in that, as the creator, God gets to set the rules for us. We're, 
we see a shadow of that in, in verse 9 where we're told that God caused to grow out of the ground every tree pleasing in appearance and good for food, including the tree of life in the middle of the garden, as well as the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which will enter into our story more next week. This reminded me of, of Isaiah 64, 8, which simply says, Yet, Lord, you are our Father. We are the clay and you are the potter. We are all the work of your hands. We see something here about the great care that God has used in creating us. And yet we see that he is completely sovereign, completely in charge. We, we looked at that last week. That he's sovereign over creation. There's, we don't see any picture here where God's having to ask permission to do anything. He forms us. But it doesn't stop there. It doesn't stop that, that God just formed Adam and said, all right, I've set you in this beautiful garden. Have fun, right? That's not, that's not where it ends. Because the next thing that we see is that God commands the man. And we see this in verse 15. The Lord God took the man and placed him in the Garden of Eden to work it and watch over it. Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree of the garden, but you must not, not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for on the day you eat from it, you will certainly die. Now, now we see here really two commands at, at work here. Okay, So the first is to work the garden and to watch over it. That, that would be the first command. God placed Adam in the garden and said, okay, I've, I've placed you here in, in what I've created, and I want you to take care of it for me. Now, now think about this. This is important for us. If, as I said earlier, in, in all of our confusion, I think sometimes we, we begin to think that work is a part of the curse, that, that work is a result of God saying, well, I'm kicking you out of the garden, and because you refuse to obey me, I'm going to make you go to work. But that's not the case. Work is a part of God's original design. God made us to be workers. Work was intended to be a blessing. That we might work for the good and for the glory of God. Well, now, you, you may be thinking there, well, that's all well and good, but you don't know about my job, right? Or you've never met my boss, right? And we'll talk about that next week as to why work, and, and when it was created to be such a blessing, turns out to look less like a blessing sometimes. Because that's a, that's a consequence of the fall, that, that God actually says that uh, this, this ground that I've, that I've made for you to work uh, will now actually fight back against you. I have, I'm a farmer's kid. I have stories about the ground fighting back uh, against you in working. But work was originally intended to be a blessing. This is why I think laziness is so dangerous for us as people. I've heard it said, I think there's a, there's a pastor who said that there's nothing more dangerous than a man who's bored. Now think about it, right? Like, 
if you think back to when you were a teenager, how many good ideas came up when you were bored, right? Me and some friends were just sitting around doing nothing in particular, and we came up with a great idea to change the world. That's not usually how that goes, right? It usually ends up with somebody either in jail or in the hospital when, when you have a bunch of people sitting around bored. It's where you get stuff like the, the proverbial, right, mom, watch this, right? That's, that doesn't come when you're actively doing something. It comes when you're bored. And, and, and of course, we can, we can laugh about that, but do we not see effects that are much more serious because of boredom? Do we not see families destroyed because of boredom? I'm bored with my life. I'm bored with my spouse. I'm bored with my kids. I just need, and, and, it, and it must not be me. It must be them, right? And so when boredom breeds a lack of trust, boredom can breed um, strife. We, we see all these things that, that boredom breeds. And so we, we we need to remember that, that work is a good creation of God, not a, not a curse, not a, well, because you didn't obey me, I'm going to make you go to work. No, it's, it's a blessing. We are, we are doing what God designed us to do when we are at work. And yet, that's not the only command that we see here, right? We also see, uh, so, so that would be the positive one, right? Do, do, work the ground as, as God commanded Adam. And there's a second negative command that's here. Do not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, now people have been debating for years, hundreds, thousands of years, why would God even give Adam and Eve the choice? Why, why put something there if, if, they weren't, if, if they weren't supposed to touch it? Why even give them the choice to disobey? Again, we need to remember God is sovereign, right? He does not have to ask your permission or my permission to do anything. We also have to remember he's good. But there's a sense in which what we see here, God gives us the choice to obey him or not. It doesn't change his expectation of obedience. And yet, from the beginning, the man and the woman had a choice. Would they trust their creator? Or would they choose their own way? And in every, uh, it was interesting reading this, every, every commentary had a, a little bit different view um, on why, but, but they all seem to agree that at, that at the very end, this was a test. Not a temptation, but, but a test. Are you are you going to trust me or not? We see this throughout Scripture. God's people always have a choice. Set before you life and death, the Bible says. And Jesus simply put it this way, John 14, 15, If you love me, you will keep my commands. Love demands a choice. 
There's not a choice that real love can't be present. You ever heard a story of someone who was held captive because uh, their, their captor demanded they love them? You can't, you can't do that. It's not the way it works. God, even in the garden, gave his creation the choice to love him, to obey him, or not. And we see, at least for a little while, things, things went well. As we'll see next week, things drastically change when we disobey God. And then we get into, uh, the, the last thing we're going to talk about this morning is that God consecrates marriage. Again, this is pre-fall. So, so here we see something about God's original design for marriage beginning in verse 18. It says, Then the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper corresponding to him. Now, now I find this really interesting because this is before the fall when God has said everything is good and yet he comes here to verse 18 and even in the perfection of the garden, something is not right. That language, the, the Lord said it is not good, is meant to be striking. It's, it's meant to grab our attention because it shows that even in, in God's perfectly designed order of creation in Genesis 2, something was out of order. And God says this, it's not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper corresponding to him. Now again, in this day and age when we're so confused about male and female and gender roles and, and, and if, if, if those labels even matter, we see that God certainly had specific purposes for man and for woman. And then in all of creation, nothing else was found as a companion for the man. So God here says, I'm going to do something special. I'm going to create something that's unlike anything else. We see in 21, so the Lord God caused a deep sleep to come over the man and he slept. God took one of his ribs and closed the flesh at that place. Then the Lord God made the rib he had taken from the man into a woman and brought her to the man. And the man said, this one at last is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. This one will be called woman, for she was taken from man. Do you realize that the first words spoken by any human in the Bible are Adam's words when he sees Eve for the first time? Again, I've, I've read this passage hundreds of times in my life, and yet this week as I was, as I was studying that passage, that, that reality struck me. That these are the first words the Bible records from any person. And it's essentially Adam looking at, at his wife, that this, this thing that God has made, and going, Wow! That's striking. 
because he recognizes this is, this is something completely unlike anything else I've ever seen. And I think husbands would say amen to that, right? Like, this is, this is, this is beyond anything I've ever expected or imagined or even understood. And, and, and he looks at her, and, and the, the, word, the Hebrew word for man is ish. And, and the, the word that, that Adam uses for Eve here is, is isha, out of man. He, he recognizes that she's a part of him. And that there's a connectedness there. And then 24, we're, we're given a picture of marriage. This is why a man leaves his father and mother and bonds with his wife and they become one flesh. Now, what's interesting is this is not necessarily a physical leaving. In, in much of uh, Jewish culture, a man, in fact, would not have left his mother and father. He would have taken care of his mother and father even as he uh, was married. And so uh, it would not have necessitated him moving out of his parents' house. There was not a, a physical leaving, and yet there is an emotional leaving. I don't have time to get into all the stories about what happens when either a man or a, when either a husband or a wife refuses to leave parents and cling to their husband or their wife. This is why a man leaves his father and mother and bonds with his wife and they become one flesh because in the marriage union, something amazing happens. Two people who were previously separated or previously two become one. And we live in a culture that is maybe is in all the confusion that we've talked about, maybe most of all is confused about what marriage is. Everything from same-sex relationships, same-sex marriage, to uh, even pushes, as I've read through the years, maybe you have two of a man who wanted to be married to his computer or to, his, uh, or to a tree. We, when, when we lose the sanctity of marriage, if, if marriage doesn't mean what God intended it to mean, it can essentially mean anything, as we see in our, our culture, and yet... Here in the Bible, we see God's design, that it's one man and one woman. And Jesus himself spoke to this in Mark 10. It says, from the beginning of creation, so again, going back to the beginning, God's original design, the, the, the creator of the world, explaining what marriage was to be. From the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother, and the two will become one flesh, so they are no longer two, but one flesh. And Jesus will go on to say, what God has joined together, let no man separate. This is why we believe that, that divorce is such a destructive thing in our lives, and, and why, regardless of what our culture believes, through no-fault divorce, where where people can simply say, oh, well, well, you know, we just, we just don't get along, and so we're going we're gonna to get divorced. Well, we'd say there's a much deeper spiritual reality to marriage than two people who just decide they like each other and, and it would be fun to live with for a little while. In verse 25, finally, we're, we're given the, this purity of marriage that 
in, in the beginning that both man and his wife were naked yet felt no shame. There's an innocence and a beauty and a purity here that's lost, as we'll see next week, in the, the moment that sin enters the world. And, and for the first time, a husband and wife feel shame and try to hide themselves from one another. Now, now why does all this matter? Well, it, it matters because in a world that, that's increasingly questioning not just the existence of God, but, but the purpose of things like marriage, the, the reality of, of gender, when we go back to the beginning, we see the way that God designed us for human flourishing. And so it's not things like marriage and, and, and things like gender is not a, not a box to, to keep us in and to try to keep us from some fun that's to be had outside in, in the outside world. They're boundaries that are set up for our protection. Knowing that there's a world of destruction when we attempt to live life outside of the way God designed it to be lived. It's the same reason you don't use your toaster in the bathtub, right? Because when you use things in a way they're not designed to be used, destruction can happen. Bible tells us about God's original design and the good. Notice the the joy that's present in this passage, the peace that's present in Genesis 1 and 2. Next week we'll talk about why we don't experience that on a daily basis. And yet, as part of the promise of the, the world to come is when this life ends, when Christ returns and sets everything right, we're told that the tree of life will once again be present. It will be restored to life the way it was in Genesis 1 and 2, a perfect relationship with one another. Can you, can you imagine like having a marriage and where you never like look at each other and say, well, it's not what you said, it's how you said it. Or husbands, maybe you can experience, maybe you can identify with this one, right? Where you ask your wife what's wrong and she says nothing. And it's clearly not nothing, but you're afraid to ask again, right? None of that existed. They lived in perfect fellowship with one another. They lived in perfect relationship with God, there was no shame. And believe it or not, that's what we're promised in heaven. When Christ restores everything, that creation will be completely reconciled, completely restored. This is why Genesis 1 and 2 matters, because it gives us a peek of what life was meant to be like. Next week we'll see why everything goes wrong. And how we respond to that, how we live in the middle of that. Maybe you're here this morning and, and you would say, man, I, you know, as I look at my life, it sure is a long way from, from Genesis 1 and 2 to, to which I would say, welcome to, welcome to life, right? 
Welcome to, to living in a broken world. And next week we'll see why it's that case. But I hope you also see this morning that this is not the way, the, the way we experience the world now is not the way God designed it to be. God never intended for us to have strife between one another. He never intended for us to have separation from him. But through sin entering the world, fracturing creation, but through our own turning away from God and choosing our own way, this is what we experience. But the beauty of the gospel is that God says, this is not the way I intended you to live, and this is not the way I want you to live. So the Bible will tell us that, that God loved us so much that he sent his son, Jesus, to live the perfect life that we couldn't live and to die the death that we deserved in our place so that we might be reconciled to God. And my, my favorite way that I've heard uh, the, the Christian life described is that we now recover and pursue God's design. Not perfectly, because we all still wrestle with sin. We still live in a world that's, that's far from God. We recover and pursue God's design, believing that one day he'll fully restore our relationship with him, restore our relationships with other brothers and sisters in Christ, restore creation itself. And so this morning, I would simply ask, are you living in, are you pursuing God's design for your life or are you living in brokenness? If you'd look at your life and say, man, this sure does look broken. I would invite you to simply turn your eyes upon Jesus as we sing so often. Trust in Jesus as Lord and Savior. Believing that he came to save you, to forgive your sins, to restore your relationship with Christ. And to help us recover and pursue a life that we never imagined was possible. Living in the light of his grace. If you'd like to know more about that, I'd love to visit with you as we stand to sing. Let's pray. We'll close. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you so much for the, the opportunity to gather. To come to see something about the, the way that you've designed creation to operate. And before the fall, we see the way we're, you, you want us to interact with you. We see the way you, you want us to live in relationship with one another. And even though we know we'll never get to experience that perfectly here in this life. We thank you for sending Christ to the earth to restore our relationship with you, to heal our relationships with one another, with the promise that one day everything will be set back right. Everything that's broken will be healed. I pray you'd be working in our lives now to heal broken family. in ways that maybe only you can, that you, you heal broken marriages, that you restore broken lives. It reminds us that you're a, you're a God who makes whole those things that have been fractured. Thank you for the beauty and the simplicity of Genesis 1 and 2, the, the reminder that that the way we see the world is not the way things were intended to be. 
I pray just as Paul called the, the Corinthians, we would be agents, we'd be people of reconciliation, proclaiming that your ways are better, your ways are higher, and living in light of your grace and proclaiming the truth of the gospel to those around us. Will you give us courage to speak up? Will you give us the boldness to live like we've been changed by you? We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from First Baptist Church of Alamogordo. We are located at 1100 Michigan Avenue in Alamogordo, New Mexico. We meet on Sundays for small groups at 9 a.m. and worship at 1030. If you have more questions, please email office at fbcalamo.com or call 575-437-5510. Thank you for listening and may God bless you.